and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. All of human history focuses on the work, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that there is no other name under heaven given to men by which men can be saved. All of history focuses on Jesus Christ, His death upon the cross, and His resurrection from the dead. God, because He lives today, those of us who turn from sin and turn to Him find forgiveness and eternal life. Those who believe upon Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We're here to exalt His name, to lift Him up before men. And we pray in His wonderful name. Amen. You know, one of my favorite all-time stories is told of the petite elderly woman and that's a nice way of saying, you know, a little old lady. That's the politically correct term. A petite elderly woman who lived alone, and one night while lying in bed reading her Bible, she heard a strange noise followed by the sight of a flashlight flickering in a darkened hallway. Certain it was a burglar, she shouted from the passage she was reading at the time. She said, stop right where you are, Acts 2.38. The burglar froze in place, giving the woman an opportunity to call the police. And when the police arrived, they were amazed to find that the burglar had not moved a muscle. Curious, they asked the woman what she had said or did to get such a response. And she said, all I know is I was reading through my Bible and I cried out, Acts 2.38, which says, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Amazed, the policeman, as he led the handcuffed burglar to the police car, asked him why you know, this little old lady yelling out a Bible verse would t- stop him. And he said, a Bible verse? And the policeman said, yeah. She said she yelled out Acts 2.38. He said, Acts 2.38? I said, I thought she said, stop right where you are. I have an Acts and 2.38s. <laughs> you know, f- fear is a powerful emotion. You know, fear is a powerful emotion defined by Webster as the anticipation of misfortune or pain. It's the state of being afraid, something dreaded, anxiety. Fear can immobilize or paralyze, preventing one from experiencing life to the fullest and hindering the believer from accomplishing all God would have us to do. You know, which is precisely why Jesus warns and encourages his disciples in Luke chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me where we find these words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. If you, like me, have ever struggled with that kind of negative fear, the kind of fear that immobilizes, the kind of fear that paralyzes, the kind of fear that keeps you from experiencing God to His fullest, then if you'll follow along with me, I trust when God's Word says that His truth sets us free, that it'll set us free from the bondage of fear that's a negative fear. In Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, we read these words. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the the Pharisee, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner room shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. 
Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man shall confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not become anxious about how or what you should speak in your defense or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know, in this passage, there are five truths, as I mentioned, that we'll examine as we look at these. They're truths that will set us fear from the bondage of, of, of uh, fear. You know, ba- the background, if you recall from Luke chapter 11, after he had given those three woes to the Pharisees and again three more to the lawyers or the scribes, we find out that they became very hostile and they began to question Jesus closely on many subjects. And in fact, they plotted against him to catch him in something that he might say. And as we understand the background, and it's so important to study Scripture in the context, is because this leads into this passage that we see here. The background is, is that there's this fierce animosity, this growing resentment, as we've seen throughout the, the, the study through the Gospel of Luke. And now they're plotting to, to, to kill him. They're plotting to catch him and, and, to, and, and to find some way that they can persecute him for the things that he has said. They were so angry at him that all their reason had went out the door. And they were so upset that he had called them openly before the, before the crowds, hypocrites, that instead of acknowledging what he said was true, because they knew what he said was true, because God knows our hearts, they knew their own hearts, that he had called them out. And instead of repenting or turning from sin, they wanted instead to defend it. And it's never a wise course of action. Whenever God convicts us of wrong in our life, the, 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 the perfect thing to do, according to the word of God, is just acknowledge what God says is true. You're right. You know, to confess or to agree with him that that is true of my life. God, forgive me for that sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all of that. But these men would have none of that. They wanted to defend themselves because it was more important that they maintained a certain position in society than they cared about what God knew about them to be true. And if we look at this in verse 1 of chapter 12, we're told, in addition to this growing hostility and they're plotting to catch him in something that he might say, we're told literally that there are tens of thousands of people. There was a multitude of people who had gathered together and they were stepping, quite literally, they were stepping on one another. And so it wouldn't be hard to understand and to recognize that there was a growing group of men who resented Jesus and were trying to catch him in something to persecute him. In addition to that, there were growing numbers of people who were following him. So literally, there are tens of thousands of people stepping upon one another. And if you've ever been in a crowd-like or mob-like situation, if you've ever been pressed up against... I I remember when we were leaving San Francisco and and the Angels had lost uh, up in San Francisco the year of the World Series. And we were down three games to two and there was a growing mob that was outside and literally people were stepping on one another and they were all you know they were celebrating because obviously in San Francisco there are more things wrong than just what we see the obvious uh, and, and that is that they you know they're not even good math students because they had only won three games and you need to win four and um, so they were celebrating that they had won three 
And, uh, but literally, people were mobbing, and they were pushing against each other and shoving and screaming and, and knocking people over, and, and children were crying and women were crying, and, and there was a sense of just panic that was going on. And, and as I read this passage, I was reminded of that. And if you've ever been in that environment, you know that as this started to happen, it became very evident to Jesus' followers that things were getting a little bit dicey when it came to following Jesus. And the pressure started to be put on them. And so what Jesus knew of them and what he reveals to us and what he also wants to reveal to us is that there were some who were saying outwardly, hey, I'm all for you. But inwardly, they were beginning to become afraid of what it meant to follow Jesus. They recognized that there was a price that was going to have to be paid. And so he begins to teach with this backdrop And he said it was under those circumstances that we see after so many thousands of the multitude gathered together. They were stepping all over each other, pushing each other, shoving each other. The background of the Pharisees and the scribes who were angry at Jesus. He began saying to them, it became a teaching time, a platform to teach this truth. And what he was saying in the first point that I want to bring out is he was saying to them and to us to remember your accountability to God. It's always the right place to stop. He says, but in verse 2, there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will be not known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you have whispered in the inner room shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. The things that you have said in your little private circles will become known because as Solomon writes in the conclusion of his book of Ecclesiastes, he tells us all to fear God and to keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. You know, as we look at Jesus' teaching in Luke's gospel, we see a problem that's clearly pointed out as a warning to all of us. And once again, it is the problem or the sin of hypocrisy. If we recall from the last passage, hypocrisy is to put on a a fake appearance, to be an actor or pretender. It's a conscious decision that I'm going to project an image that I know isn't even true of myself. And he's saying beware of the hypocrisy or the leaven of hypocrisy or the sin of hypocrisy. Every one of us are are guilty or suspect to the guilt of the sin of hypocrisy because it comes with sin nature. We become more concerned with other people think of us than we do of what God knows about us. We're more concerned that people think more highly of us than what they really should if they really knew and understood what was going on in our heart. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, writes of a story of he had sent a letter out to 12 of his best friends. And he said these were men of high repute and high character in society. They're the leading men of their, of their day. He had sent this simple telegram to each one of them to see what would happen. And the telegram simply said this, flee for everything is to be revealed. He said within a matter of a week, all 12 of them had left town. And he said it was funny because, you know, there wasn't anything that he knew about them, but there were obviously things that they knew about themselves. And they were just waiting for the day that they would be caught. You know, the point of Jesus liking, uh, you know, hypocrisy to the leaven of the Pharisees is that leaven, it only took a little bit of leaven to, uh, to um, puff up, so to speak, you know, the, the, the dough. A little bit of leaven would rise the dough. And what he's saying to you and me is this. You know, Chuck, a little bit of hypocrisy in your life, just a little bit, 
will puff you up and make you so prideful and arrogant that the next thing you know, a little hypocrisy turns into a corrupt character. It's those little things of life, those little foxes that destroy the vineyards. It's that little sin that we call little sin. You know, to just clarify once and for all, for all of us, there is no such thing as little sin. There is no such thing as a little white lie. A lie is a lie. There is no such thing as just cheating a little bit. Cheating is cheating. Stealing is stealing. Lying is lying. It is all sin before God. And we need to recognize and understand it's those little things that the next thing we know, we turn around and we have a corrupt character. And that's what happened to them. They started in a little area. They, they started to consciously pretend in a certain area. And before they knew it, they even began to believe their own lies. We often hear stories of people who lie on resumes or their backgrounds. And, I, and a story that was, that was told not too long ago, a couple of years ago, about a man who was a football coach at Wake Forest University. And he had worked his way up, and he was an excellent football coach, but he had lied on his resume about the things that he had accomplished earlier in his career. And wouldn't you know it, he ended up getting the job of his dreams, which was to coach Notre Dame. And when he went to Notre Dame, they wanted to do a, 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 a personal interest story from the community in which he grew up and where he had gone to college. And they went back and they were all excited to interview people that knew this man who was now going to be the head coach of Notre Dame University. And they began to check in his background and, you know, did he do this and this and this and this and aren't you proud of him? And as they went through it, he said he never did that or that or that or that. But every step along the way, he continued to allow others to believe that about himself, thinking that it was necessary to get that job. And it turned out that everything fell apart. He was dismissed after he was hired before he'd ever coached a day. And I thought how embarrassing that is for you and for me to pretend we're something before men when God knows differently. See, all they had to do was say, Lord, you're right. You know what? I'm full of smoke. I'm puffed up and arrogant and prideful. And you know it and I know it. And I confess that sin before you now. And you make me into the man or woman that you want me to be. That little bit of sin leads to corruption of character. You know, and the reason that hypocrisy is so foolish is Jesus said, look, you know, everything's going to come out. It's all going to be revealed. It'll all be exposed. Everything is laid open and bare to him to whom we have to do is the admonition of Scripture. There's nothing hidden in our life that God will not show before the world. On Judgment Day, every person that, that will, will reject Jesus Christ and turn from God and continue to run from Him, every act in their life, every word, every deed will be brought forth. And there'll be no one who can stand before the white throne of judgment seat of Jesus Christ and say, you know what? You don't have anything on me. It'll all be laid open and bare. And they'll say, I don't? Look. And no one will be able to say a word. Because a perfect and righteous God judges righteously. See, I've often, you know, I have had the occasion to surprise folks leaving maybe here, for example, a service or another place where I've spoke. And it's always a fun thing, you know, in one specific incident, you know, I still smile about to this day. Because as I was running and I was late going from the service to, to the stadium and I was trying to run out, but the you know, crowd of people were going to the parking lot. And just as I got to this couple, as they were walking, the gal looked at this guy and said, well, what did you think of the service? And, the, and, and, I, and I slowed down. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and he said, you know what? He goes, I, I don't like that guy. And then I slowed down more. 
And, and, and I heard him say, and she said, why? Why not? And he said, because he told me that if I don't turn from sin and believe in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection, if I don't believe in him for the forgiveness of my sin, then when I die, I'm going to be judged for my sin and I'll go to hell. And she said, well, yeah, but that's what the Bible teaches. And I smiled because he, you know, he heard truth. He just didn't like it. And, and all I ever ask God is, is, may I communicate clearly your truth so that people, when they hear it, they hear it for what it is, truth, and then what they do with it is between them and you. But I thought how funny that is, and, and, and I kind of walked off to the side because I didn't want to embarrass him anymore, and so I kind of ducked around some other people, and I don't think he ever knew that I was there. But I've heard that. I've heard, you know, I've heard people say, you know, I love the music and I, the message, you know, man, it's too long. And, uh, you know, or which I can't even understand, you know, I can't understand whatsoever. And that's why I've got two bottles of water today. And, um, but, you know, or I've heard people say, you know what, well, you know, I love the service and I hated the music. You know, you hear people say things all the time. And, 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 and what this tells me is that, you know, the, the advertisement for Vegas, you know, what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas, you know, is just an absolute lie from the pit of hell because, you know what, what goes on, God knows. And it doesn't matter whether you're in Vegas, it doesn't matter if you're sitting here, it doesn't matter if you're somewhere else, what goes on, God knows. And he will hold us accountable for what we do and what we say. Now, for God's people, it's this. If you're concerned that someone might overhear something that you have to say, don't say it. Because if you say it and you're concerned that someone may hear it, then you are guilty of the sin of hypocrisy. So don't say it. If you're concerned that something you would say would be tape recorded, then don't say it. If you're concerned that someone will hear you, then don't say it. I walk around with a lapel mic on. I used to laugh all the time and wonder if it was turned on. You know, and, and, and now I don't care because there's nothing that I'm going to say that would ever embarrass me because I'm more concerned that God hears it than anybody else. Now, you may want to ask if it's on, but that's, that's a whole other story. But the, the problem is one of hypocrisy, and the principle is very simple, and that is this. God knows everything. And his limitless capacity of divine omniscience assures perfect exposure of hypocrisy. So judge yourselves, lest you be judged by God. If you are consciously putting on an act, then ask God to forgive you and to make you into the person that God wants you to be. See, when we live in such a manner, it eliminates the fear of getting caught. It eliminates the fear of being exposed. It eliminates the fear of others seeing us as we really are instead of what we try to convince them that we are. Be real. Because if we're real before God and pleasing to God, it really doesn't matter what men think. And that's why Jesus went on to say his second point was recognize the one we should fear. Rather than fearing one another, we need to fear God. He says, and I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more than they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one 
who after he is killed has authority to cast him into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear God. See, Jesus knew that some of his followers were guilty of hypocrisy because they feared what the Pharisees and the scribes might do to them. And Jesus clearly instructed them, instead of fearing men, they were to have a fear of God. You see, he said, don't be afraid of men. Think about it, folks. All that a man can do to another man is kill him. That's the worst thing that can ever happen. He says, but after you're dead, that person has no more control over you. Fear God, who can not only kill you physically, but send you to hell eternally, spiritually. He said, if you want to fear anyone, fear God. And how sad it is in our culture that the majority of us are more afraid of people than we are of God. Because we've been led to believe in this culture of ours that somehow God is always walking around with a happy face and that, you know, He doesn't frown upon sin. That He doesn't judge sin. And the reality of the Word of God is, as Jesus clearly tells us, listen, folks, fear God. Live your life in the fear of God. Because He can destroy both body and soul for all of eternity. They were afraid that they might have to die confessing Jesus as their Savior. And what they were saying is, hey, Lord, you know, we got your back. But inwardly, in their little circle and huddle, they were planning, what are you going to do if we get arrested? What are you going to do if they come after us? You know, and some of them may have put on a happy face and brave face then and said, oh, you know what? I'll be right behind you. Isn't that what Peter did? Lord, it doesn't matter. All these other guys can run away from you, but not me. I'll never deny you. And sure enough, as soon as the heat got turned up in the kitchen a little bit, it was like, don't even know the guy. Don't even know him. So he's saying, you know what? A healthy fear of God would cause us to stand courageous in this world because we live to please him and we really don't care what other people think. See, a proper fear of God will free us from the improper fears of men. I thought how embarrassing it is in our culture for believers to be more afraid of losing their job than to do right before God. I thought how embarrassing in our culture for believers to lose friends or status in, in society than to do right before God. Don't forget the context. Jesus was saying to his disciples in the, in the push and the crush of the crowd, when their very lives were at risk, he's saying, don't even worry about your life because even if man kills you, I've got your soul in my hand and you're in good hands. You're in the best hands. See, in other words, man has limited power over us. Lose a job? So what? You don't think God can replace your job? Lose a friend because you do what's right before God? Then I ask you a simple question. What kind of friends do you hang out with? Bad company corrupts good morals. What kind of friends do you have that if you stand up for Christ's sake and live according to the principles of God... And you courageously are obedient to God's word because you know that he is the one that you should fear instead of others. Do you imagine what kind of impact we can have on our culture 
if we were not afraid of what men thought of us? Do not be afraid of men. Be afraid of God. And God can do wonderful things through the life of courageous believers. Martin Luther turned his world upside down because he was a man who lived fearing God. I am more concerned what God thinks of me than what you all think of me. I'm more concerned of what God can do to me than what you can do to me. You can kill me, but that's as far as it goes. See, fear of God is desperately needed in the church today. Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ask yourself the question, do you really fear God? Do you really care deeply about what He thinks of you? About what you do and about what you say? See, we need that wholesome fear that Jesus commended to His disciples. We need that fear that Moses had when he stood before the burning bush and he trembled And he removed his sandals and he hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. We need the fear that Isaiah had when he saw the throne room of God and said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he hid his face before God, only to later stand courageously and say, Lord, here I am, send me. We need that fear of God that will motivate us like Luther and Moses and Isaiah. That fear of God that liberates us from the fear of men. The story is told of a man named Peter Cartwright who was a 19th century circuit-riding Methodist preacher. He was an uncompromising man because he was more concerned with what God thought of him than men. On a Sunday morning when he was to preach, he was told that President Andrew Jackson was in the congregation and he was warned not to say anything that would be out of line. When Cartwright stood to preach, he said, it has been brought to my understanding that Andrew Jackson is with us today. I have been requested to be, regard, uh, to be guarded in my remarks. I am here to say that Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. <laughs> the congregation was shocked and wondered how the president would respond. The president, after the service, went to him and shook his hands and said, Sir... If I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. You know, and our courage, our fear of God, should be tempered by the fact that we realize how valuable we are to God. Notice in verse 6 and 7, it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? And yet, not even one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear you are of more value than many sparrows. He says, you know what, don't, don't be afraid of God from the standpoint that God is like, you know, the little guy hidden behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. You know, God's not that little man hidden behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. God cares for us. God shows compassion towards us. He demonstrated his care and his concern, you know, for, you know, for his people. You know, the fear of the Lord is, is a secure fear that frees us from the negative, dreadful fears of those who haven't trusted in Christ. You know, two sparrows were sold for a penny in that day, and four sparrows would be for two cents. And a fifth one would be thrown in for free. That's kind of like buy four, get one free. And what he was saying is this. Even the fifth sparrow that's thrown in on top of the deal, even God cares for the thrown-in sparrow. 
He said, you know, his eyes are on the sparrow and he watches over me. How much more valuable are you and I in God's sight than a sparrow? He said, God cares for us. He says that he's labeled, and the the word numbered actually means labeled. Numbered is one thing. When you think about the fact that God numbers or he labels every hair on our head. It shows you how awesome is our God. He labels them. He calls them by name. It's just not one through whatever. He labels every hair of our head. He watches over us. He cares for us. And how does that apply? And, and, and how, do we, to, to, how do we absorb that truth into everyday life? And an illustration I want to share with you happened a couple of weeks ago in my own life. Our grandson, Luke, who's eight and a half years old, was upstairs when Linda got a phone call from the doctor when they were going over my last CT scan. And he came downstairs, and he came outside, and I said, oh, what's Nana doing? He said, well, she's upstairs talking to the doctor, and he said, and it doesn't sound good. I said, really? He goes, yeah. You know, and when an eight and a half year old goes, it's not sounding good. I said, Really? I said, yeah. I said, okay. And so we started to play catch a little bit. And he stopped and he looked at me and said, he said, um, he said, Papa, are you afraid to die? And I said, you know what? I'm not afraid to die. Because I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. And I believe what God teaches us is that we don't have to fear death. Because I know that when I die, that I'm going to be with him. And we kept playing catch, and he stopped again. He said, you know what, Papa? I said, I don't know. He goes, uh, I'm going to die when I'm 90. I said, all right. That's good to know. And that was it. And then we just kept playing catch, you know. And that was kind of the end of that moment. You know, and, 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 you know, and it was a wonderful opportunity to be able to share with him and, and whoever else who listens. You know what? God's people should never be afraid to die physically. Because it ushers in a new adventure that all of us can only hope and long for. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of His saints. That when we're absent from our body, we're present with our Savior. That the end of our physical life is just the beginning of the life that God has in all of its fullness and all of its eternity. This life is nothing compared to what the life that God has in store for those of us who have repented of sin and trusted in Christ. We will live eternally, and the Bible says that even today at this moment that Jesus Christ himself is preparing a place for us, God's people. Why should any of us ever fear death? As I was walking down the hallway at St. Joe's on Friday to to go into surgery, the guy who was there that was taking us, he had a God is awesome uh, name tag on it, was holding up his credentials for the hospital. And we got in a wonderful conversation about the fact that, you know, we know what we have in store for us and what we have to look forward to. That, you know what, that, that, that God is, is, a, is a God of his word and of his promises. And to have the faith of the centurion soldier that, you know what, Lord, I don't need to experience it to know it's true. Because your word says it and it's good enough for me. And one day we'll see that everything that he promises is just as he said. So I'm not afraid to die. Some of you say, well, what, what about your family? Are you afraid for them? Why? The same God who cares for me cares for them. But what about your friends? The same God that cares for me cares for them. But what about your church? You know, you're a pastor of a church, and the same God that cares for me cares for you. 
I'm not concerned because God cares for us. See, he didn't bring us as a church to this point to leave us now. This church isn't my idea. This church wasn't born of the idea of a handful of men who got together and said, oh, let's let's start a church. This church was raised up by God himself. And this church is founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the head. He is the foundation upon which we build, and the word of God is preeminent. And this church will continue to be viable with or without me. You know why? Because God cares for us. And if he calls me home from assignment, he will raise up another shepherd to preach the word of God and to reach this world with his word. And, 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 and I know some of you are sitting on the sidelines waiting to see whether you should get involved or not to find out if I'm going to live or not. Well, I'm just telling you right now that I'm going to die. Now, I don't know if it's from this cancer, but unless the Lord comes back, I don't know if this is a news flash for any of you, but unless the Lord comes back first, I am going to die. And when I die, God will raise up another, just as he has always done throughout human history. See, the gates of hell will not prevail against this, his church. See, it's one thing... And, and, you know, and, and I've wanted to, to share that to encourage you because it's one thing to make a contribution. It's another thing to be committed. See, a chicken makes a contribution to breakfast when a chicken provides eggs. You know what I'm saying? A pig, on the other hand, is committed to breakfast. So you have probably never heard this come out of any pastor's mouth before, but I'm telling you right now, do not be a chicken, but be a pig for Jesus. And the question that I have for you is this. (laughs) You know, there's like a time delay sometimes in there. He's like going, he says be a pig for Jesus. All my life I told my children, stop being a pig. Now they're be a pig for Jesus. But you know what I'm saying? Be committed. You're not making a commitment to me. You're making a commitment to him. Be committed to him. And I'm going to challenge you right here and right now because I don't know where this journey is going to end. But I'm going to challenge you to pray about making a commitment to the Lord to serve him. To get involved and to use the gifts that God has given you to serve his people and equip the saints for the work of ministry. To make a commitment to follow his lead. To make a commitment to reach this world with the gospel. To make a commitment to build his church. Because I know he cares for us. And he will not leave us. And he will not desert us. And he will not leave us floundering out in the wilderness. Men and women, God's hand has been on this church since the foundation of the world, long before any of us ever knew about it. His hand has been on us every step along the way, and his hand will continue to be there. Because the word of God says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? With that in mind, it's only fitting that we move on and recognize that we are to respond. 
with a public confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 8 through 10, he says, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man shall confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me, I will deny him before God's angels. See, as I read this, we recognize that our profession of faith, our public confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, determines the response of Jesus. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, well, but Chuck, come on now. You know, it's by God's grace that we're saved through faith. It's a gift from God, so none of us will boast. It's not, a ba- it's not based on our own works. It's not based on our own will. We're born again by the will of God, not by our own will. We're regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a God thing. It's nothing that any of us can do. And to you, I say that is sound theology. That is exactly what Scripture teaches. By grace, we're saved through faith. It is a gift from God so that no one can boast. But I will also tell you this, that those who truly are born again, those who truly have repented of sin, those who truly have asked Jesus Christ to forgive their sins and trusted in his death and his resurrection, who are born again by the will of God, there is something that happens to our nature. Old things pass away. We become new as God's children. And we can't help but want to tell others of Jesus Christ. If you are ashamed of Him publicly, if you are ashamed to share what Jesus Christ has done in your life publicly, then I say to you, you better examine yourself to see if you are really in the faith because those who are truly born again can't help but tell others about Jesus. And He says, if you will confess Me, profess Me before men, I will profess you before My Father's in heaven because I know that you are one of Mine. But if you are a coward, and if you shrink back in persecution, and if you go hide where it's convenient and comfortable, and you're more worried about what men think of you than God, I will deny you before my Father in heaven because you are not one of my children. We have got to take inventory. We have got to look deep into with our souls and find out, do have I really come to faith in Christ? And if I had, and if I have, and I am, then I can't help but tell people about Jesus. Why? Because there is no other way that they will ever be saved from the consequence of their sin. There is no other way that they will experience life and everlasting. There is no other way that they will spend an eternity in the presence of their God. There is no other name given to men under heaven by which men can be saved than the Lord Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection. And if we are embarrassed of Him, then we are not born again by Him. We need to recognize and understand that Paul said, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with his lips he confesses unto salvation. Just as James writes that faith without works is dead, so faith without professing Jesus as Savior is not a true, genuine, living, saving faith. As we look at this, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of professing Christ and confessing Him before men. Because the worst thing can happen is they can kill you. But you are secure in my hands. For I have your soul for all of eternity. You know, he goes on to say that everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit... It shall not be forgiven him. And if you remember, blasphemy against the Spirit is saying the works that Jesus did were attributed to the devil. 
that Jesus Christ is not the Savior of God, that Jesus Christ did not do the miracles which were signs and attestation by God that he is who he claims to be. So that, you know what, God, people can be forgiven for, you know, cursing Jesus. But when we reject the Spirit of God who teaches us who Jesus Christ is, who convicts us of sin and our need for forgiveness, there is no hope for that person. Because the Holy Spirit of God, coupled with the Word of God, goes forth into the hearts of men to put us to a position where we need to make a decision. Will you confess and agree with God that you are a sinner who needs to be forgiven by God? Or will you continue to deny him? But if you deny the spirits of God, his conviction in your heart, then there is no hope for you or me. But praise God for those of us who, when convicted of sin, turn from sin and turn to God and trusted in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection. And we are born again into you and me, he says, do not be afraid of men, but fear God. Profess him before men, and he shall confess you before his Father who is in heaven. You know, before moving to our final truth that will set us free from the fear of men, these words were meant to bring a sobering shock to the hearts of those who had been toning it down. We, we live in that culture. Tone it down. You know, don't be so vocal about your faith. Tone it down. And if there is ever a time where the battle line is drawn more clearly than now in the history of our nation, I don't know when it is, but I know living through it, we are being told constantly to turn it and tone it down. And that's when we need to speak the loudest. That is when we need to speak the loudest and when we need to be heard the clearest. We have a court that is now deciding to eliminate under God. Everywhere that we turn, we see that God is being thrown out of our country. And God's people, who are to be steadfast and immovable, we are here to turn it up. To lift Him up. To exalt Him. And not chicken out. Don't be a chicken for Jesus. Be a pig. You know you'll remember that. <laughs> All right, last thing, we'll close with this. How can we be courageous in the face of adversity and in trouble and in persecution and even death? By relying upon the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. And when they bring you, not, when not, it wasn't if. Notice, I want you to understand that, you know what, you and I as God's people will be persecuted if we are courageous and we are vocal about Jesus. It says, and when that day happens, and it will, and in this world you'll have trouble, but don't fear because I've overcome the world. You know, they hated me, they're going to hate you. I mean, let's, get, let's face it. Don't be surprised by the fiery darts of the enemy. We're going to be attacked for standing up for Jesus. And when that day comes and they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't be anxious about what you should speak in your defense or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know what? There are times in life where you and I just cannot prepare for what lies ahead. I was thinking about it laying outside on the gurney outside the CT room on Friday. And we were praying. And the doctor that went in, he told me ahead of time. He said, Chuck, if this is in your liver, we're not going to do this procedure. Because we don't want to put you through this because your days are numbered and we're not going to cause any undue suffering in your life. And as I laid there, I thought, Lord, I don't have a clue what to say. You can't be prepared for that. And I hugged my wife and I gave her a kiss and I said, listen, no matter what he comes out and tells us, it's okay 
because God is in control of all things. And we said, well, it doesn't look like it got any worse, so we're going to go ahead and do this. I said, Lord, thank you. We praise you. We praise you no matter what. Whether things are the way we want them to be or whether they are another way, they are the way you want them to be, so we praise you nonetheless. And so we rely upon the Holy Spirit. And there have been many times I've been in meetings and I've been asked questions and I could have never prepared for that question. And I just asked God, help me. Give me the right words at this time because I have no idea what to say. And the Holy Spirit, in our times of trouble, teaches us what to say. You can't prepare for those moments. The only way you prepare is by staying in the Word of God and living a life that holds on to God. And from that standpoint, I guess we do prepare. But at the end of the day, he says, don't worry about what to say or what to do. I'll tell you what to say at that moment in time. Read through the book of Acts, and we see Paul often, when he was before Agrippa, and he was told to defend himself, he preached the gospel. We saw Peter dragged before the Sanhedrin and was told to defend himself, and he preached the gospel. We see God's people dragged before men throughout human history. Martin Luther, and when he was, they were dragged forth, they preached the gospel. Because the Spirit of God is to lift up Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him resurrected. We don't need to worry about what to say because He will tell us to lift up Jesus. And we've had many opportunities through numerous surgeries and more to come to be able to exalt the name of Jesus Christ in our times of greatest trouble because when we are weak, He is strong. How do we live the Christian life? We rely upon the Spirit of God, the dynamite of God, to infuse us with the courage of God to be the people God wants us to be. In closing, how many of you have ever feared driving over a huge bridge? If you've ever been there, you're not alone. When I was a kid, we lived back in Pennsylvania. We used to go to New Jersey or, or Ocean City, Maryland. Every summer, we would go to the, to the beach for a week's vacation. We would go over this bridge. It was called the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. It's four miles long. It's 200 feet over the Chesapeake Bay. And on top of it, it's made of like, this, like these skids that you can see down through to the water. And so as you're going over there, you're just like, whoa, this is pretty freaky. Well, they actually have a service that they offer not only in the Bay Bridge, but the Mackinac Bridge also in Michigan. Because what happens is some people, they start to drive over and they freeze and they stop in the middle of the road and they don't move. And the people behind them that aren't afraid don't understand and they don't, they get a little upset. So they actually have a service that if you want, one of the guys who works on the bridge will drive your car for you over to the other side of the bridge. And then they wait there till somebody's afraid to drive over the other way and then they drive back. (laughs) That's how they get back and forth. This is true. This is true. And I was thinking about that as I, was, as I was putting all this together about how often we're afraid of things that seem so foolish to other people because that's not a fear that we have. And what God wants you and I to understand is this. Don't be afraid of anything. Just be afraid of God. Live this life in a fear of God so that we will be more concerned with what He has to think about us and say than anybody in our life. Don't be afraid. And there are times in our life where we've got to turn the wheel over to Him. If you are living in fear today, as I struggle with the battle that I'm going through, it's just let Him take over the wheel. 
Cast your cares upon him, and he will care for you. Do not be afraid of men who can only destroy the body, but fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell for all of eternity. Don't be afraid. He cares for you. He cares for me. Let's pray. Father, we are in awe of who you are. And it is my prayer today that none of us leave here afraid except for those who have not come to repent of their sin and trust in you. They should fear. They should fear an eternity away from you in a place called hell. They should fear being judged for their sins. That is an appropriate fear. And for those who have not trusted in you, I pray that they would fear you and turn from sin and trust in you. Believing your word and trusting that Jesus Christ died in their place, rose again from the dead and is alive today to hear their prayer, of, for, uh, uh, their prayer to ask for forgiveness. That they would cry out for your mercy and you say that those who do so will rec- you will receive and they will become children of God to those who believe in your name. I pray also for all of us who have trusted in you and are children of yours that we do not fear anything other than what you think of our lives, what you have to say about us, that we are not hypocrites, that we are real before this world, that we are open and transparent and vulnerable, that in our weaknesses your strength is perfected, that in our times of calamity or trouble or persecution, that we rely upon your spirit to guide us and teach us into truth and give us the words to say. That those who do not know you are so drawn by the courage, the dynamite, the spirit of God living within us that they want to know how they too can come to peace with God. God, I thank you that today we can be reminded of this as we think back on the cross, how you defeated the devil and the works of the devil, how you defeated the sting and took out the sting of death, How God's people should never fear death but look forward and anxiously await that day where every fulfillment of promises will become real in each of our lives. God, we look forward to the time that we will have to spend with you and though we know that you live within us, that we're never alone or fearful. So God, what a wonderful day it is to be alive to serve you. May we never be chickens for Jesus, but may we be wholly committed body, soul, and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.